Thank you so much, Dale, for uh, that, that good update. And uh, again, thank you um, and Kyle um, for your hard work, tenacious work, uh, putting in much time over these last months, beyond the year, really, and uh, weekly meetings with uh, architect and, and uh, Del Nor Construction uh, Company, and just really, really appreciate it. So, pray for all of us in the leadership in leadership in this, but uh, uh, specifically uh, for uh, Dale and, and Kyle as they co-lead the expansion team. Great to have. Uh, Pastor Joel back after, uh, as was mentioned, his sabbatical, nine-week sabbatical. And for those who missed a uh, previous announcement that I had shared, um, I think before he went on his sabbatical or as he was going, uh, he, he's coming back into uh, a new title, uh, much uh, of the same responsibilities, but uh, a morphing a little bit and an expanding and um, uh, a new role as discipleship pastor. Um, as we begin a journey, or as we continue on an expanded journey in our church of, of a more intentional focus on New Testament discipleship, and uh, this, this came out of, of, of Pastor Joel's, uh, I'm sure we've had previous conversations, but really uh, the, the step to move this way came out of, of Joel's prayerful and visionary heart, and so... Church family, thank you for your prayer uh, in this adjustment and, and uh, f- figuring out by God's leadership uh, uh, what that looks like uh, as, we, as we aim to grow in our individual lives and as a church family at being disciples who make disciples, which is the, the biblical um, New Testament words of Jesus for us, right? God, as we look again at your word, open our hearts and minds to it. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Parting words. It's the title of this last message in our Galatians teaching series that we've been on for, this will be 16 messages today. And as I began to prepare uh, this message, this parting words message, I immediately thought of a silly little story from my young adult years. In 1982, those were great years. They're always better the further you get away from them because you can't remember what they were like. But anyway, 1982, I owned a very, very fashionable double-breasted suit jacket that I bought at Big Steel. Anybody remember Big Steel? Anybody old enough to remember? Styling. Well, right after I bought it, I I had to wear it. And it was shortly after I bought it that we had a Thanksgiving family get-together for the weekend down in southern Alberta. And so for the dinner part of that, I I put on this jacket and dressed up a little. And my cousin, who wasn't shy about sharing her opinions, was a couple of years younger than me, Love you, Ray, if you're engaging online. Um, She called the jacket purple. (laughs) As if I'd wear a purple jacket. It's mauve. It's mauve. 
And thus started the little friendly banter through the weekend. Purple, it's mauve. Purple, mauve. The whole weekend. Drove everybody nuts, actually. I was a mature 19-year-old. Come on. And on Thanksgiving Monday came, time to drive home. Got into my car, left the house, said goodbye to everybody. And as I was getting into my car, my cousin opened the door and yelled, purple, and slammed the door. She got the last word. She, she got the parting word. So I left it and drove away from uh, southern Alberta there to, uh, to, to, back, to drive back to my, my place in Sherwood Park at the time. It wasn't too far down the highway, and I noticed a payphone by the highway. We had a lot of those back then. Uh, you know where this is going. Had to pull over, grab a quarter. It's awesome. I can show you kids a picture of it later, uh, how it all worked. You put the quarter in, and she then gave you the opportunity to talk to whoever you wanted to. It was awesome. So I dialed my aunt's number. I said, can you put Ray on the phone, please? She said, hello. I said, move, and hung up the phone. I had the last word, the parting word. Felt, oh, felt good. And at the time, I obviously didn't know how fortunate I was that there was no such thing as texting, so she couldn't fire back purple to me, right? What a day it was. Parting words. Sometimes they can be harsh. Maybe from an egomaniac who, out of insecurity, always has to have the last word. Parting words. Parting words can sometimes be very important words. We, we hold on to the last words that we heard a parent say before they passed away. There's even good reason to be careful about our last words as we leave the house on any given day, right? To our family members. Parting words. Well, Paul's parting words in this New Testament letter called Galatians were exceedingly important. They were reminders about not needing to depend on any works for salvation, eternal salvation, but rather to trust and only trust in Jesus and his cross alone. And so, yeah, Paul was, was reiterating again the same message that he had shared all throughout that letter. And if you've been in this series with us these weeks, you, you know that well. So we're going to read the various verses in the passage as we move through it, as opposed to reading the whole sum this morning. We, we've mentioned in this series that the author of this New Testament letter is a, a Christian missionary named Paul. Title, apostle, means sent one, and he was uh, sent by God. Uh, he used to be, um, in, in his pre-Christ-following life, a persecutor of Christians. And you can read, as we've said already in this series, you can read that amazing story in the New Testament, the historical uh, account, the historical record of it in the book of Acts, and, and just a, a life change when he met Jesus personally that is, uh, is phenomenal. So Galatians 6, 11 to 18 is our passage today. In verse 11, he writes, 
Notice what large letters I use as I write these closing words in my own handwriting. Interesting. Interesting statement. Uh, my mom, who has been with Jesus, passed away uh, over, just over six years ago, used to email me with large letters. All caps. <laughs> I jokingly, uh, not jokingly, would say, Mom, stop yelling at me in your emails. She liked large letters. It's okay. Well, Paul comes to the end of his letter here, and he's wanting to emphasize his parting words. And so he, he personally picks up the pen at this point, writing with my own handwriting. Notice that? He, he mentions it. You see, it was common for Paul and for other uh, authors back then to dictate, and uh, someone else actually do the, 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 the writing. <laughs> I was doing this. That didn't happen back then. Um, you know what it's like. You get a letter and your name is typed at the top, but it, you know it's mass-produced, and it's, it's, so it's not too personal. But, but if the sender picks up the pen and writes even just a brief personal comment at the bottom, that, that makes it, well, personal. <laughs> nice. And... In these parting final words that Paul makes note that he is writing, actually writing himself, there, there's an emphasis that Paul wants to leave them with, a punctuation mark. And, and the large letter piece, by the way, when he mentions that, could, could likely be, uh, many theologians believe, just that, that he had an eye problem. Uh, with his eyes, and, uh, and so he had to write larger, uh, and uh, this could possibly be this, this thorn in the flesh that he referred to elsewhere, uh, referred elsewhere in the, in the New Testament. But uh, these, these parting words, he, he, there's a punctuation mark. He, he wants to make sure that the Christ followers in all the churches uh, in the region of Galatia, Asia Minor, catch the main theme of the gospel message one more time. He said it, and he said it, and he said, throughout Galatians, and he said it again, and, he's, and, and he gets to the end, and he says it again. Because it's important. It's of eternal importance, these words of Paul, as we've been talking about. The message, really, from Paul could be summarized, from God, through Paul, could be summarized in two primary teaching points that Paul has uh, endeavored to convey. Uh, number one, entering God's family is an inward thing, not an outward thing. It's not a ritual, what you do, that gets you. No. It, now, does that mean that there's no outward elements to living the Christian life? Of course not, because once we're in God's family by faith, he wants us to work and pray and share his love in practical ways with others so that they'll come to know Jesus too, right? That's, that's not the point. It's, it's how you get in to God's family. And jumping ahead, verse 15, Paul describes this perfectly. It doesn't matter, he says, whether we've been circumcised or not, Jewish ritual, uh, ritual. what counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. And becoming a new creation in Christ is most definitely a supernatural and inner work of the Holy Spirit. That's teaching point one. Teaching point two, Christianity is all about Christ and not about us. In other words, if we try to achieve a relationship with God based on our works rather than on Christ's work on the cross, it becomes about us. When we try to build 
a relationship with God by doing, even doing good things. Like baptism, like reading my Bible, being a loving person, or any other human effort. Christianity then becomes a human, crossless religion. And at that point, it becomes like any other religion being based on works and human effort. And that's not New Testament Christianity. Thank the Lord. Again, in this, don't forget, God has prepared good works for us to do as his followers. Yes. But on the other side of coming to know him personally, right? As we've said in this series. And if you've been a part of this series, you, you know well that Paul stresses this point repeatedly. And he, he does so in order to combat the strong efforts of what he called false teachers, uh, Judaizers, who were saying that rituals from their Jewish religion, like circumcision, had to be added to what Jesus did on the cross in order to ensure eternal salvation. And Paul said, not true, not true. And he got a little perturbed, actually, we've seen in this letter. He was feisty about it, and, and justifiably so. In Paul's parting words, verse 12 and 13, he once again points out that false, these false teachers are trying what they're trying to do and their motivation for doing so. He says, those who are trying to force you to be circumcised want to look good to others. They don't want to be persecuted for teaching that the cross of Christ alone can save. And Paul knew the persecution that came with that message. They only want you to be circumcised so they can boast about it and claim you as their disciples. Paul's saying they're, they're just trying to force you to do something that you don't need to do just so they can appear to be all influential. I mean, that, that's, that's awful. That's awful. Paul's also saying that the source of all of this is, is human pride. The Bible talks a lot about pride for good reason. And really, it's the first... Sin that we know about, evidenced, talked about in Isaiah 14 when Lucifer, a created angel of God in heaven for who knows how long, from where it came, I mean, I don't understand it all, but just pride entered his heart and he thought, I'm going to be boss in heaven. Well, he was uh, booted out of heaven with some of the angels that became the demons we know of today, biblically and experientially in our world. And all of that to say, it's a reason God talks a lot about how pride is, is, is a very, very dangerous thing. You see, simply trusting in Jesus to receive salvation doesn't sit well with people who've always been self-reliant. Trust, faith in God. When things are beyond your control, for, for some, is, is, is a very difficult thing. Even more sad is the fact that they didn't like what the cross stood for. And Paul made a, a sad but true observation in one of his other letters about this. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, along these same lines, he said, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Some people view the cross as, just, that's foolish. If I'm going to get to heaven, I want to get there on my own, on my own merits. I can, I can do this. You know, the human pride. It can seem to be foolishness that that God, the creator of the universe, took on human flesh and was nailed to a cross. And for the Jew, the idea of their Messiah being put to death on the cross was unthinkable, actually. 
So, so again, the message of the cross is, Paul says, foolishness. To, to who? Not to those who know it's transform, transforming power, but, but to those who are perishing on a trajectory of eternal separation from God because of their unwillingness to bow to Jesus and recognize what he did on the cross. But then uh, the last part of verse 18 says, but, but to us who are being saved, it is the, it is the power of God. Which is precisely why Paul writes in Galatians 6.14, May I never boast about anything except the cross of Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified or, or uh, just cut off or put to death. My interest in this world and the world's interest in me has also died. Then Paul stresses what matters most in verse 15, as we said already. It, it doesn't matter whether we have been crucified or not. Those exterior things don't cut it if we're depending on them to get us into an eternal personal relationship with God that he wants us to have, that he wants to have with all of us. Verse 15, the last part of it, what counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. And that only happens. God leaves it to our choice. He draws us. He wants us in his family. But it's up to us to surrender to turn from our sin and trust him. William Barclay in his little book, Letters to the Seven Churches, talks about uh, the, the Nicolaitans referred to in, in Revelation, the last book of the New Testament, uh, chapter 2. They said, these Nicolaitans, uh, that Christians were freed from the law, and indeed we are. But they took it too far and said that then Christians can, can live basically however you want to live and, and do absolutely whatever you want to do through your life, and you'll, you'll still be good eternally. New Testament doesn't teach that either. They, they, they twisted Paul's teaching and turned the, the biblical teaching uh, of, of Christian liberty into license to live as you want after expressed faith. I mean, it's the classic, you know, pendulum swing too far. Uh, Pastor Irwin, uh, Irwin McManus in The Unstoppable Force writes about someone who once asked him uh, about the church he pastored in Los Angeles, and he wrote this. This man turned to me and asked me if Mosaic Church was a law church or a grace church. I said, we're a grace church. The law says, do not murder. Grace says, you don't even have to have hatred in your heart. You can love your enemy. The law says, he continued, do not commit adultery. But grace says, you don't even have to have lust in your heart for another woman. The law says, give 10%. But grace always takes us beyond the law. You can give 20, 30, 40%. And then McManus added this astute observation. Isn't it interesting how we think of grace as something less than law many times? It all goes back to the cross. <laughs> Our forgiveness, those of us who have received God's forgiveness by our asking, by our trust, it, it all goes back to the cross. Our forgiveness, God's acceptance of us, the gift of eternal life, God's welcome of us into his eternal family. I mean, think about that. All of that and, and more made available simply and only because Jesus Christ was willing to come to earth God in human flesh for the express purpose of going to the cross to pay the penalty of death which was 
required. Sin is so bad, that's the penalty that was required. An extravagant grace in it all. Let's read the last three verses of this letter. Paul mentions, Paul mentions two words in the concluding three verses that he mentioned right at the beginning of this same letter. Galatians 1, thir- uh, sorry, Galatians 1, 3, remember? He said, may God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. I, I often pray that for you, for those that gather on a Sunday, or those engaging on a praying, praying wherever you are. That you would experience God's grace and peace. Those are powerful things. And then Paul gets to the end of the letter. And he's highlighting this. In verse 16 to 18. May God's peace and mercy. Be upon all who live by this principle. What principle? Of grace. They are, he says, the new people of God. From now on, verse 17. Don't let anyone trouble me with these things. He's like. He's he's done with these arguments with these false teachers is basically what he's saying. For I bear in my body, he says, the scars that show I belong to Jesus. Those of you that know anything about Paul's life, you know exactly what he's talking about. You can can read in 1 Corinthians, uh, sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and chapter 11 and you'll hear Paul talk about his experiences of being beaten and imprisoned and whipped many times simply for preaching about the love and grace message of Jesus. And don't think that's happened just to him. That that happens today in our world for many of our Christian brothers and sisters that we must never forget about. And Paul just says it straight up. He says, these scars, I have the scars in my body. Evidence, he, he didn't outright say this part, but it is true. They were those, those marks, those scars were evidence of his commitment to Jesus Christ. Wow. Causes me to think, what would I have done? How would I have reacted? Would I have kept on the path with God's grace and strength? I hope so. And here he's reminding the Galatian believers about these marks. These scars, because, because these marks in his body uh, can, can be starkly contrasted with the now meaningless mark of circumcision that the Judaizers, false teachers, wished to impose on these uh, Christ followers. Eric Dirksen, uh, former Vanguard president, in his commentary on Galatians set free, really great commentary he wrote a few years back, he says, the scars on Paul's body are a direct result of the, uh, of the allegiance he has to Jesus and the obedience Paul gives him. And, and, then, and then Dirksen adds this. Have you been told that suffering is not the will of God for you? Perhaps you should read Philippians 1.29, which says, for to you, and same writer, Paul, different letter, different audience, the Philippian believers in, in, in thank you, Philippi. Um, which says, for to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. And, and that's not the focus of this message, but hmm, it's, wor- it's worth pondering. And we don't like that very much. 
Paul said the same thing to young Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 12. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Hmm. Back to our passage, verse 18. Dear brothers and sisters, Paul says, because that's what they are. They're now in the family of God together by virtue of what Jesus did on the cross. So he calls them brothers and sisters. May the grace, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. I, I recently read this definition that I believe I had heard a long time ago, but I kind of forgotten about it, came across it in the study of this message. Grace is everything for nothing to those who don't deserve anything. And we don't. We, we like to think we do, but we, we don't, really. We don't. Grace is everything for nothing to those who don't deserve anything. In his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, Philip Yancey writes about Bill, Moyer, uh, Bill Moyer's documentary film uh, about the hymn, the film that was... Uh, uh, you know, uh, helping us understand this, this, this amazing hymn called Amazing Grace. And that documentary includes a scene uh, filmed at Wembley Stadium in London. And various musical groups, mostly rock bands, ha had gathered together at that time many years ago now in celebration of the changes going on uh, at the time in South Africa. And, and, and for some reason, the promoters scheduled, along with these bands, an opera singer, Jesse Norman, as, as the closing act. The film cuts back and forth between scenes of the unruly crowd in the, in the stadium and scenes with this singer, uh, Jesse Norman, being interviewed. For, for hours, groups like Guns N' Roses blasted the crowd through banks of speakers, riling up fans that were already high on booze and, and dope. The crowd yells for more, and the rock bands oblige. And, and, and meanwhile, uh, Jesse Norman sits in her dressing room discussing Amazing Grace with journalist and filmmaker Bill Moyers. The hymn was written, as, as many of you know, by John Newton, a, a, a cruel slave trader in his past who came to Christ renounced his past. He had a deep sense, and you can, you can, you can hear it and feel it almost in, in the hymn, right? He, he, had a, he had a deep sense of his need for God's grace. And, and, and when he wrote about the amazing grace of God that saved a wretch like me, as those words go, he, he meant those words deeply. Back to Wembley Stadium. Finally, the time comes for the opera singer Norman to sing. And a single spotlight follows Norman, a majestic African-American woman as she strolls to center stage. No backup band, no musical instruments, just her voice. The crowd is restless. <laughs> Virtually no one knows who this singer is, 
A voice yells from the crowd, more guns and roses, and others join in the chant. It starts to get a little ugly. But alone and persistent, committed, a cappella. That means with no musical instruments. A cappella. She begins to sing slowly, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And I choke up because I'm a wretch without Christ. Hmm. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And a remarkable thing happened in Wembley Stadium that night. 70,000 raucous fans uh, fall silent as they continue to sing about or as, as she continues to sing about God's amazing grace. And by the time she reaches the second verse, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace will lead me home." Several thousand fans are singing along, reaching way back in their, in their memories for words that many of them had sung many, many years ago. When we've been there, 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Philip Yancey writes, Jesse Norman later confessed that she, she had no idea what power descended on Wembley Stadium that night. But Yancey wrote, I think I know. The world, he said, thirsts. For grace. When grace, Yancey writes, when grace descends, the world falls silent before it. And some of that silence might be hesitation, fear of the unknown, uh, uh, imaginary thoughts in our minds about what surrender to God will look like, and, 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 and hesitation, maybe fear. <laughs> but if you know God at all, in His character, in His wisdom, in His grace, in His love, there, there's nothing to fear. To step across that line and say, God, I want to be in your family. I receive your grace and your forgiveness. And so many of you know that because you've taken that, that step of surrender. The God who created you for the purpose of being in eternal relationship with Him. But sin interrupted that. Our pride interrupts that. And all of that stuff that are hindrances and roadblocks to, to, to coming into that relationship with God dealt with fully and completely when Jesus died. And rose again by God's power to prove that God does have power over sin and death in our lives. Mm. The gospel message is so awesome. If you don't know Jesus, maybe you're, you're thinking right now, I, I recognize my need for God's grace in my life. 
I want to repent. I want to turn from my sin. I want to step into God's family and express my, and do that by expressing faith and, and, and choosing to trust in Jesus Christ as the forgiver of my sin and, and the leader of my life in this, in this new, maybe scary relationship. If that's your desire, in your hearts, with your words, pray, dear Lord Jesus, I come to you humbly. Thank you, Father, for sending Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to the cross and dying there for me, taking the penalty that belonged to me upon yourself. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for doing that. Thank you that, you that you rose from the dead. Now you're alive forevermore to lead my life. I surrender to you. I ask you to be the one who forgives me fully like you want to and the one who leads me every day in this life and into the next that is forever. Thank you, God, for your grace shown to me. I receive it now in Christ. You prayed that prayer right now in this moment. I want to pray for you. Online, there's a I want to accept Jesus button that you can click to let us know or, or eaglemont.info and fill out the form at the I'm new card there, button there. Those in this place this morning, if, I want to pray for you. If there's anybody in this place that prayed that prayer, I'm going to ask you just to Raise your hand and look my direction right now. I'm just going to pause. No one, often we ask, you know, close your eyes and that's okay. But today not, just, just let's be real. If, if that's something you did this morning, thank you for raising your hand courageously. It's oh, awesome. Anyone else that prayed that prayer? Awesome, awesome. <laughs> so good. Luke 15 talks about Ah, Marlowe's paraphrase here, but there's a party going on in heaven with the angels because of the commitment that t- the two of you are making right now. Literally rejoicing in heaven about that. And that's worth rejoicing over. That's worth celebrating. Lord, I pray for these dear people that you love so much. For any others, maybe who didn't physically display what went on in their heart and mind in this moment. And those engaging online where you're working this way. Lord God, may they sense your nearness right now. May they know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the grace of God has been deposited in their hearts supernaturally. Thank you for that. Lord Jesus, may they walk with you May they grow in this relationship with you. May they put the roots down in you and your word and in the body of Christ in relationship with others to be strengthened and to give strength to others. Thank you for that. Jesus. Please let us know if that's a commitment you made or want to make. We want to we walk with you and be there for you and support you, encourage you in the journey. We all need that. Maybe you know Jesus personally, just as another 
a minute or two as, as we wrap up. Maybe you know Jesus personally, but you are, you are just so aware uh, of, your, of your need for God's grace in your life these days. You, you, and, and you know it's his grace you need to, to, to literally carry you through a season of challenge that you're walking through right now and maybe have been for weeks or months. I don't know. Maybe it's his grace you need uh, to be able to show love and grace to that obnoxious coworker. Or maybe you need his grace, God's grace, as you, as you focus on deepening your relationship with him, but you, you've grown uh, frustrated and, and maybe even discouraged because of the lack of progress or perceived lack of progress. I, I don't know, I don't know, whatever it is. But this morning, if, you, if you're saying, I, I need God's grace in my life in a specific way, uh, again, I'm, I'm going to invite you. I want to pray with you and, and for you today and in coming days. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand right now as, you're, as you remain seated. Who would want prayer in that regard? I'm putting my hand up too. I'm going to include myself. I need God's grace in this specific way and, and more than one actually. <laughs> You, you know, God, right now, you, you, you do know, right? God knows everything about why you, you courageously, in, in front of your loving church family, no judgment. Wow, we're praying for one another right now, right? Others of you, look around. It's okay to look around. And though, if you raise your hand, I want you to keep it up. So, yeah, other believers who know God and believe in prayer, Look around, you're praying for somebody. You may not know their name, but you're praying, God, that person over there with the glasses and the, and the blonde hair, uh, you know their name, I'm praying for them right now. As I pray, we're praying together. There's no, there's no extra power in the pastor's prayer. No, no, we're all believers in Christ, right? Let's, let's, let's unite together for those that are expressing something specific to God right now. And their need for his grace. And he knows best what that's going to look like. So Father, as a church family, in these moments, we, we do. We lift up to you. The individuals who are sitting here with their hand outstretched. As an expression of trust in you. As an expression saying, God, you know I'm here, but here I am. Work in my life. As you see fit. Because you know best for my life and eternity. And in this area of my life or these areas of my life where I need your grace, please, Jesus, come. Pour your grace into this situation. Pour your grace into my heart that will bring hope and your wisdom and your guidance. In the name of Jesus, I pray in the name of Jesus, we all pray and agree that your will will be done in every one of these situations, Lord. And the grace of God would be displayed and rejoiced over. Thank you. Thank you. So the quietness of this moment, thank God for his grace. Thank God 
deep in your heart right now, thank God for his grace if you know it. If you know him. Don't be afraid to let your ears hear you speak thanksgiving to God for his grace. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your amazing, amazing grace.